Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So welcome everybody. It's nice to see you all um, for one of our um, practice manager webinars. As ever, we are recording this and we will publish it as um, an audio podcast, also as a recorded webinar today because we've got some slides available um, which will be shown later. Do please ask questions as you go using the Q&A box, um, which is just really helpful. Everybody else to conceal your questions then and we can pop in some answers as we go or come to answers later um, if we need to come back to you with them when you the answers. So without any further ado, I'm going to hold over to Dawn. I'm going to share my screen and we're going to talk about GPAS. Thank you. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks, Louise. Uh, hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Yes. So I'm going to start off today uh, talking about GPAS. And hopefully um, most of you will have had an email this week about GPAS. Um, so this is a system um, general practice alert state that's been developed by our colleagues at Devon LMC. Um, because until now, as we know, primary care hasn't been able to demonstrate in a sort of standardised way system pressures that we're under um, in the same way that secondary care has been able to do with their OPAL assessment tool. However, we now have an opportunity to be able to compare and demonstrate general practice pressure to the wider system in, in a similar way. So, as I said, our colleagues at Devon have uh, developed and uh, operationalised this tool um, and with a small amount of input data from practices each week, it will enable us at the LMC to convert this um, with some software into an OPAL assessment and send out a SIT rep to your local uh, CCG and stakeholders. Um, and before starting or considering uh, launching the programme, we did actually um, undertake a pilot. And we've been doing that the last few weeks with some, uh, some of our practices across the patch. If I can have the next slide, please, Louise. So as I said, we're going to be launching this uh, very shortly, actually week beginning, um, the 9th of May. Um, and what will this mean for practices? Well, what we're asking you to do is once a week on a Tuesday, we will send to you a link um, that you click on and on the link you'll see a form that has seven questions, seven very easy questions. I, I hope you will agree with us. Um, and the data that we collect through that uh, survey, seven questions, like I said, will enable us to create a, a SIT rep that we will send around to stakeholders in your locality or CCG. Now, this is a strategic tool. Um, and as such, you might not see the benefits straight away um, because ultimately we need to build up some, some data, some trend data. Um, however, as I said, our colleagues at Devon have already um, been um, using this tool and, and have actually been using it for the last two years. Um, and they've certainly uh, seen some development um, over in Devon and it is now an integral part of their dashboards. Um, and they have had some help and benefit from CCGs and wider stakeholders. Next slide, please. So the seven questions we're going to ask you, because I suppose that's the $64 million questions, what we're actually asking you to do. So we're going to ask you, what is your alert state? And each week when we send this one email on a Tuesday, there is a little attachment and it does tell you in that attachment how you can look at What's happening in your practice? How does your practice feel? And then from that, decide what you want to declare your alert state as. What's your locality, your PCN? 
Um, and if you have actually declared yourself in your alert status as red or black um, and you would like us to sort of give you a support call, there is a confidential email box that you can use um, to do that. Um, there's also a little text box. So if you want to add some additional comments, you can also do so. Um, however, you know, that's optional. And then at the bottom, how many contacts did you have on a Monday this week? And for you to do that, again, there's a standardised way we're asking you to do it. And quite simple, there's some EMIS and TPP instructions in the little weekly um, email we send out. And what is your list size? Can I have the next slide, please, Louise? So for the purpose of doing a sit rep, <clears throat> To actually do that, we do need at least 50% of practices within each of the segmentation areas that you can see on the screen here. We do need at least 50% of those practices to reply to us each week to give the data some quality. Um, and if we don't actually get 50%, then we won't actually be able to produce a sit rep. Um, so BSW is in three segments, Baines, Swindon and Wiltshire, Dorset in two, and there's uh, five there for Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. So there'll be three SIT reps that go to each of those systems. And depending upon where you are within each of those systems, your details will be included on that SIT rep under those segmentations. Next slide, please. So here's an example of what the SIT reps will look like when they go out to system partners. We obviously will also email these to practices so you can see exactly the state of play in your locality. Uh, this is an example from Devon, as I said, who've been um, using this tool for a considerable amount of time. There will also be a little bit extra. Um, you can't see on the bottom. It will depend on if we get any comments from practices, and I don't mean confidential ones, but just general comments that give some flavour of how things are feeling in your practice. We might add those also to the sit rep. If we do, again, please be reassured these are completely anonymous. We're not going to say where they come from or who sent them in. Next slide, please. So with no further ado, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our pilot practices who have actually spent time um, and effort um, going through the pilot with us. It has been a success. And I'd like to say thank you to Andy Mintram because he also spent five minutes just chatting to me about his experience and also his recommendation. And um, we've turned that into a little podcast, which can be found on our GPAS webpage and the GPAS webpage. Very easy to find if you go to our homepage. Just put in GPAS and up it comes. And uh, like I said, rather than listen to me, perhaps have a listen to um, Andy, who actually would like to recommend to you joining in GPAS. Thank you. Brilliant. That's really interesting. And I think that one of the pilot practices, how long did it take um, him to do his report per week? Oh, um, Andy said literally no time at all. It sort of takes one or two minutes to complete the report. The only uh, other thing before completing the report is, and that's totally how they choose in Andy's practice, they always have an MDT at their practice, I think he said every Monday, but that's to talk about the practice as a wider um, sort of um, issue, if you like. But during that time when they have their chat on a Monday morning, they, they decide what alert status they're going to declare dependent upon what's happening in their practice that week. 
and it has not proved onerous for the public. No, not at all. No, not at all. And it is kept as our information. Absolutely. It's yep. anonymous and our information. There's Absolutely. been an interesting question come, um, come in from Jenny. Um, I realise it's all a balance between our workload to input this, your workload to collate and the output, but our situation changes daily. Monday might be a disaster because of short staffing, but Tuesday then fine. How has this been taken into account? And I, I know you've thought about the days of the week, and Devon have certainly worked through that, haven't they? What's your comment on that, Dawn? Well, you declare Monday's contacts, and I hear what Jen is saying. Um, and if suddenly everything comes right on a Tuesday, that's super to hear. But bearing in mind, this is a weekly basis. So maybe because of your Monday contacts, we do actually use the Monday contacts to then scale up to give a week's view, if you like, or an estimated week's view. So it might declare you suddenly as red because of your Monday contacts, but Tuesday, everything's fine. In which case, when you declare the following week, you probably might then um, step yourself down to amber or green. Um, so one declaration of red for, for your practice won't necessarily mean lots of alarm bells are going to start ringing, but that's where we're in building up trend data that will plateau out. Um, but if you were declaring red week on week, three, four, five, six weeks, then possibly, you know, that is worth a conversation with PCN, CCGs and so on. And the Citrep and the, the data coming out, how will practices be able to see that if they're interested to see what the trends are in their own area? Okay. The Citrep that we'll be sending to stakeholders, we will also be sending that to practices to have a look at should they wish to. And that'll um, cover all our, all our areas. So they'll be able to see everybody else's Citreps too, sort of thing. No, 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 no. If you're in BSW, you'll get the BSW sit okay. rep. You okay. won't get the Hampshire Isle of Wight and the Dorset one. Okay. Having said that, if somebody asks to see it, I can't see why they wouldn't be able to. But ultimately, we will send the sit rep for each area to, to those practices and stakeholders in that area. And I, as we go on with this, and obviously we're very early days yet, if there's something with significant, we can always share it in this format um, Absolutely. People, and they can see, well, actually, this is what's happening in Hampshire, but actually BSW is this. And, 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 and so that might be quite interesting for us going forward. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where building on it, uh, Andy actually says you might not see the benefit straight away, mm -hmm. but until we start building up some data to give us a narrative to talk to the stakeholders and the system um, at large, then, you, you know, we, we haven't got a base to start with. And, and this is creating that base to start with. Fantastic. And so, um, Jenny's come back. When you say contacts, you're counting contacts on Monday, aren't you? Yeah, it, the uh, phrase is Monday contacts. But when you see, um, we did send an email to practices this week, uh, just as a general flavour, this is coming up. Um, and attached to that is... Um, a little detail of how we're asking you to report and there's some screenshots from both EMIS and TPP that shows you what we're looking for. Because okay. um, Jenny's so, asking is this face-to-face -face telephone, absolutely um, e-consults, phone calls to reception? It's absolutely everything to do with your clinical contacts. So it doesn't include administrative, but if, if you have um, appointments in your appointment system for Monday, um, some people might DNA, but you don't know that when you book those appointments. So, you know, whatever your booked appointments are for Monday, for whatever they are, across all your clinicians, that is what we're asking you to report. Right. So contact isn't, I'm making an appointment for next week. That isn't the contact. No, because that will be in your contacts for the 
following week, if you like. Yeah, no, that's so it's all your booked appointments for Monday for whatever they may be for your clinicians. Fantastic. Um, and as Jenny says, exactly right, Jenny. Hopefully the plan is to share this with a wider NHS in the same way we get secondary care citrips. Yes, but we'll certainly be sending it out to stakeholders and, and eventually that will become... Um, well, heads of primary care are obviously included in there. So um, the ICSs, when they all come into being, will receive those. Um, we'll also be sending them on to um, BMA GPC each week. And as they start to receive those from all other LMCs in the country, then obviously the hope and um, is that the GPC effectively will have a national national dashboard. And you are sending the citrips out to all sorts of people, aren't you? Absolutely. Flavour of the stakeholders. Yes, absolutely. That will include um, people like Healthwatch, Public Health, local councils, uh, ambulance services, because, you know, there might come a point where ambulance services need to know if, particularly if you've got practices in, in red and black, suddenly something, everything looks red across for example, Dorset, it would be helpful for them to understand and know that because if they're trying to ring a practice and, and don't understand why they can't get a, a, an answer, um, that, that might help them to understand why they can't get an answer. Um, so it's just about sharing general information with some of those people. And as you said, Devon started it. We're in wave two of LMCs, are we wave two? Yes, yes. absolutely. So the idea is that all the LMCs get this information. So we are building up a UK picture, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, it is our information. All LMCs are like us in there, sort of protect their information, um, but are happy to share it. But it's ours to do what we want to with it. It's not CCG's information. It's not anybody else's information. It's ours. And anything people put in on the um, little text just for more information, that is ours to be kept confidential, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a confidential email address box if if practices really need help and want to get in, in touch via that. And like I said, that's on the little attachment that goes out every week. So you don't have to think where is it, what is it, and how do I find it? It will always be attached to that little email that goes out each week. The only thing is, um, what Devon have found is, actually the text box, the um, <clears throat> optional text box, not the confidential um, uh, email address, but the little text box, sometimes uh, practices put something positive in there. Like, we were red last week, everything's calmed down, and we're back to green, and we're very happy. Um Great, super. And sometimes on the, the um, sit reps, Devon has put some of these comments because it's good to share, um, you know, such local flavour. Yeah. Um, but he, so, but they won't say which practice it comes from and who said that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And um, a couple more. Jenny, don't apologise for asking questions. You're just interested and you think it's a great idea. So we love that, but we love the interest. So please don't, never apologise for asking questions in this situation because we, we're always, always keen to answer. Um, are you asking the extended access hours appointments, PCNs to report as well? We're, ask, we're asking at the moment practices. So it's whatever the practice has. It's, it's being asked at practice level yeah. what the practice has booked in their appointment book for Monday. And that's why the email goes out on a Tuesday morning, because you won't know until you've kind of finished the whole day. It might be that you start out with, who knows, 100 booked appointments, but during the day you've added some in. So that's why we send the email out on a Tuesday morning. So when you do look in your booked appointments for the day before, you've got the whole lot. So whatever you did had in your appointment book for Monday. 
Lovely. At um, pra- Steve, practice level, sorry. No, no, that's good. It's, it's all good. Um, Steve's made a good point. Um, what support um, was offered or was available in Devon if a practice was in red or black? It's all very well collecting the data, but it won't be much help if nothing's done with it, which I think is a really good point, Steve. We, all, we, we have all said similar things. Dawn. No, absolutely. That's that's quite right. And actually, we have a document that we've sent to stakeholders explaining what we're doing and how we're doing it. And in that document, a little bit like an SOP, we're saying, right, if it's if it's red, we'd like to talk to you about this black. I mean, if we're honest, if a practice is declaring black, the chances are the uh, CCG in the system will already know about it anyway, um, because things are obviously at a stage where it could be even at the position of handing your contract back. So discussions will probably already be ongoing. Um, but I think going back to what Devon has found, particularly if you've got some uh, week on week red assessments what they found was that the system there was one instance where they did actually get secondary care to help primary care which is really unheard of Um, but because there was a build-up and it was noticed that there was this week on week build-up they I say they the CCG in conjunction with talking to the LMC realized that things were at boiling point and they did actually um, get some uh, assistance so I think secondary care has recognised that when it, there's things that are very, very tough in primary care, they're going to see it as tough a couple of weeks later. So I think the, it's the recognition that are joining up the healthcare systems. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they've used that um, for the year on year data. Um, they've looked back at the previous year so they could see peaks and troughs. And what was really interesting, like you say, was actually if there was a peak in primary care, i.e. there were a lot of practices suddenly starting to declare amber and red, what they found or the system found was urgent care and A&E two weeks later were also then starting to have that peak. So this year, what they did was said, hold on, last year, primary care started peaking, then we need to be ready for that. So actually, it it did help them um, look at what they were going to do at a strategic level to deal with these peaks and troughs. Um, A couple more questions, and I think we'll probably then finish you, but it's good because it's creating a lot of interest, which is exactly what we Absolutely. So Nick has come in. As a dispensing practice, we have patients collecting their medications. Some days are busier than others, and the available staff have a knock-on effect with the rest of the practice. Will this data be included either now or in the future? Okay, well, when you look at the, um, again, that little attachment that goes with the email each week, as well as the screenshots for how EMIS and TPP um, uh, can can show you your Monday contacts, it shows you a little bit of information about red, amber and green, what might be happening in your practice to make you feel your red, amber or green. Um, And I think as a dispensing practice, you would look at that because the whole point of the red, amber and green is it's how you at practice level feel, feel in inverted commas, I think is what we're saying. Um, it's soft intelligence. So if you know you've got issues with staffing, and that's just it, a lot of these dashboards don't know about your soft intelligence at, at practice level. You might have staff going off sick. You might suddenly have a lot of people on holiday as well as people going off sick. Someone might be due to go on maternity leave. And all these things could create a perfect storm. And you'll know about that. So when you're considering your alert state, I would say that's when consider what's going on in your dispensary as well. 
Okay, this is the last one for you, Dom. Um, so when we, um, where do we stand on online consultation support? The CCG have said we can approach them for help, but when we've asked for it um, to be off for a few days, they've either refused or not responded to our requests. Although we can now turn, turn it off, um, the mixed messages support are frustrating. Mm. I don't know, Lisa, do you want to come, um, come in on this about online consultations and when it's, it's just mixed messages of support and what the, what the practice have to do, what the CCGs can do? Yeah. And I think I think it's sort of conversations that we're having on an ongoing basis with the CCGs around obviously the, the, the contract requirements are changing around what you need to do in terms of um, offering online booking, etc. And the, the targets around the 25% is gone. So generally, we are talking to CCGs to say, look, this is something that you need to support with the practices. If they are feeling particular pressure, then, then you need to to work with them to support them to um, turn off e-consult if, if necessary out of hours and over the weekends um, and, and what support can you put in place so it's it's sort of part of the package I think really that would fit very well with GPAS it's quite often an early indicator of stress um, within the practice um, so we've had I have to say sort of fairly positive conversations with most CCGs in principle but I think if there are specific issues it would be good to pick up with practices um, Dawn, did you want to add something further? Yes, absolutely. You just touched on it, actually, Lisa. Um, I mentioned the, the text box earlier that when you're reporting GPAS, I think this would be exactly one of those things that people might want to put in that, you know, <clears throat> might say we declared amber the last few weeks, but now we're declaring red. And one of the uh, real pressures is the online e-consult. We'd like some help with that if possible, because it's that kind of um, text box message that when we're doing the sit rep, we would absolutely pick that up and put that into the sit rep saying, look, guys, this is what they're saying. Um, so that would be a good thing definitely to put in your GPAS report. Lovely. So we're going to end all things GPAS now, but we're clearly, oh, there's another one coming. Okay, I'll just do this one, just this last one. Um, you can already dictate times that e-consult to turn off out of court hours. You can do it directly with e-consult without reporting to the CCG. E-consult does have a dashboard coming, which will include capping of numbers of ability. It's supposed to be here in June. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. Thank you, Jenny. That's very helpful. Um, I'm sure, No doubt we will come back to this, um, but that's great. And thank you for your interest, everybody. That's been great. Um, okay, we're going to move on to flu now, which is never out of the headlines, mm -hmm. is it? And I'm actually, we're so with you, Dawn. Now you're up to, to come back a little bit on flu, please. Absolutely. Um, nothing too exciting, but just in case um, you haven't seen yet, um, NHSC, UXA and also the Department of Health have now issued their annual flu letter. Um, it, it has all the usual details about cohorts, vaccines and so on. Um, it does also refer to the service specification for enhanced services this year. Um, there will be one for adults and a separate one for children. Um, but we haven't got that yet, um, which ultimately, I guess, for practices, that, that's the real nub of what we would like is the service specification. It will be um, on the uh, NHS England GP contract page when they have actually published it. Um, but of course, we'll all be talking about it as soon as they do publish it anyway. But if you want to have a look at the annual flu letter, if you haven't yet seen it, um, it is on our web page for flu 2022-23. Yes, there is already a flu page for this year. Um, so yeah, please do take a look. But I thought another little mention, um, because it is a real positive one and, and a good one, um, is um, 
AXA, a UK health security agency, as public health is now called, um, they put out a vaccine update um, quite regularly. I'm sure some of you see that. And actually, they've just put out a special edition. Um, and it was really great to see, I think, that they put on there that this year, um, primary care actually exceeded the WHO target for the over 65s, which I think we kind of already knew. But they've certainly made a point of mentioning in that. And they actually have put right on the front of the vaccine update, a big thank you to the amazing primary care flu services. And you are all amazing. So that's great that they've acknowledged that. That's nice. Thanks for mentioning that, Dawn. That's really helpful. Um, Lisa, I think we're over to you now and um, PCSE and Open Exeter. Yes. So just a, a couple of bits for me, Louise. The first one was, as you say, historical statements in Open Exeter. So um, practice statements, people probably know, are now accessed via the PCSE online. Um, and you can currently access historical statements via Open Exeter. However, this service is being decommissioned as of 2nd of May um, 22, so next week. So if you require any historical statements on from Open Exeter, um, you do need to obtain them before this date. Otherwise, you won't be able to. Um, just to note, the Open Exeter will continue to be available for cervical screening until the new cervical screening management service goes live. Um, so please make sure that you keep your Open Exeter account and your um, your password up to date because you may still need it. Um, and there is further information um, on Open Exeter um, on the NHS digital site, and we'll try and pop that in the um, in the Q and A uh, so people can access it. Um, so that was the first item. Uh, the second item I just wanted to cover was something that we've had a couple of queries through um, and people are probably aware and as part of the contract changes for 2023, um, it was covered, but actually we're, we're, there is um, a bit of a lack of progress and this is around suspended and deceased patient records. Um, and we did clarify with them that when a patient record becomes suspended or deceased, um, our practice is still required to print off the electronic record and return it to PCSE with Lloyd George as previously. Um, the reason that we asked the question is that um, we wanted to know why practices would still need to print off the record for both these scenarios when in the contract update for 22-23, it says they don't need to print off the electronic record anymore. Um, and unfortunately, um, NHSD have come back to us to confirm that actually patients' practices, rather, do still need to print out the suspended and deceased patient records at, as the implementation date has yet to be agreed for the, um, by the primary care group or the operational change by PCSE. So I'm afraid there's a bit of a, a bit of a hiatus there. It would seem in that PCSE systems are not re ready yet. Um, to do that. So unfortunately, um, it has caused some confusion. Um, and as I say, we have had some queries through from practices. Um, I was asked by practice, I think just this week, does that mean if you have a record, uh, a, a SARS request from a patient for a deceased patient record, that you can, that you can direct them to PCSE? I think the answer is probably no. It does say within the revised contract guidance that actually it should be the patient that was the, the practice that was picking it up. And actually, even before any contract changes, the BMA guidance was that if practice did have a SAR um, relating to a deceased um, patient, um, then they should, under the access to health records, um, they, they did have to consider it. So I think that you probably do, unfortunately. 
And then the, the last item from me for the moment, um, and I think probably most people will hopefully have seen this, um, was around the infection prevention control guidance being amended. We did put it, I think, in our newsletter last week, and it's come out in a couple of the national bulletins. Um, but UXA has revised the IPC guidance for healthcare workers, and it now advises returning to pre-pandemic physical distancing in all healthcare settings, including primary care, um, and returning to pre-pandemic cleaning protocols outside of COVID-19 areas, um, with enhanced cleaning only being required in areas where patients with suspected or known infection are being managed. Um, it does can go on to, to recommend that all healthcare organisations should undertake local risk assessments to ensure that the systems that they've got in place are safe. Um, and we do have more guidance on risk assessments on our website. Um, so that's available to you if, if you want to check. Um, and it's the guidance still advises that all patients, visitors and staff should continue to practice good hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene, including the continued use of face masks by, sta by staff um, and visitors and patients where clinically tolerated. Um, and just on that note, uh, Louise, I think we were looking at trying to support practices with some revised messages, were we not? We are absolutely looking at some revised messages, but we're yeah. trying to find nice ways of saying you can't, we, we don't want you to do this, we don't want you to do that. So we're trying to think of good phrases so you can share, to put up in your waiting room, put up on your website and to really sort of explain to patients why things might be tricky at the moment and, and the, you know, the, the in influence or lack of influence you might have over expediting their referral to the hospital and that's, that sort of thing. So we're just trying to get some, um, get some outside help actually to get us to get those words right for you so you don't have to worry about it so much. So yes, we're absolutely, we're absolutely right, Lisa, we're working on that at the moment. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, um, just to go back, you mentioned SARS. Just a bit. I know we've got some new practice managers on here now. Is that subject ag subject access requests? And um, we have we've got lots of training on this sort of area. It's information governance, online access, medical records. It's an area that is growing and growing in importance, and it's something that worries certain lot of new practice managers coming in. They haven't got much awareness of it so we are doing more work on that and you'll see lots of events and information and podcasts and these on our website but if you've got any queries at all please come to me and i can point you in the direction that might be helpful for you um so that's Yes, just to clarify, Louise, the, the, the rules are slightly different, if you like, for um, living patients and deceased patients. So, right. as I mentioned, deceased patients are covered under the access to health records, um, whereas living patients are the UK GDPR. Um, but as you say, we have a wealth of information on our website and we've got some events coming up. So hopefully, if anybody wants clarity, we can make that available. And contacts with real experts who can be very, very precise because it, it is a minefield for everybody. It isn't that just don't, if you're thinking, insisting, they're thinking, oh my goodness, everybody else is thinking the same thing, aren't they, Lisa? It's just one of those things that's, tr that's tricky. But thank you, that's been really helpful. Um, I think probably Dawn and Lisa, we've probably finished the end. Oh no, Dawn, you're going to talk about um, HPV and NHS cycles programme, aren't you? Thanks, Louise. Yes. Um, so uh, we understand from NHS England that the purchase of HPV self-sampling home test kits is actually increasing um, and results of these private tests will not be acted upon by the NHS cervical screening programme and they cannot be recorded in an individual's NHS screening record. 
So if a private test result is positive, the person should be advised that HPV does not mean that they have or will get cervical cancer. Um, individuals who have had a private test do still remain eligible for the NHS cervical screening program. Um, and apparently most HPV infections do clear themselves, we're told, without causing problems. Um, if someone has a persistent HPV infection, it will be identified when they accept their next NHS cervical screening program invitation. Um, and they wanted to stress that cervical cancer usually develops slowly um, over 10 years. And testing in the in the NHS cervical screening program did change in 2019. And now individuals are screened first for high risk HPV. Um, and that uh, the test is actually more sensitive to high grade what they call SIN. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Um, no, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. <laughs> um, but high-grade high SIN, um, it is more sensitive to high-grade SIN than in a previous test. Um, so we thought that was probably worth mentioning because, of course, if patients are coming to you because they've had a private test, um, what is relevant is their NHS cervical screening invitations that they keep those up. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Dawn. That's helpful. Um, Lisa, a couple of questions are coming for you. We're getting sales requests from private medical companies completing shotgun licenses for patients. They're asking us for full copies of notes. Is this right? We are unable to charge, yet the medical companies are charging the patient £60. What advice can you give us? Okay, so in the first instance, I would absolutely recommend that um, you read, we have some guidance on our website that uh, Dr. Andy Purbrick, who's our sort of firearms expert within the LMC, has written. Um, and he's worked quite closely with all the firearms officers across Wessex and developed some good working relationships with them. And I know that the regulations have relatively recently changed. Um, and I would say he is absolutely the expert. So I'm going to kind of defer and say, um, if I can, in the last few moments, I'll find the link and pop it on. Um, I think there's some, some principles, though, just to mention, which are relevant in terms of, um, we would always recommend that in terms of um, release of records, it should be proportionate. They should only really be asking for the sort of level or extent of information that they need. Do they really need the entire record? Um, and I believe that um, in terms of providing information for um, these sort of private companies that do the medical reports, my understanding is that Andy did clarify that you can levy a charge and um, that obviously just needs to be fair and transparent. Um, but I will I, I will refer back to Andy's guidance for the detail on that. So I'm, I'm just going to, while we're just talking the last few moments, I'm going to have a look and I'm going to pop it in the in, in the chat. Great. Thank you. Thanks for the, uh, Sarah for the question. And Dawn's actually popped something in. Oh, brilliant. Well, Thank you, Dawn. <clears throat> that, that, that's the link to Andy's webpage about the firearms that you were mentioning. Sorry. Great. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Jenny says... Do we know if there's any update on the access to online medical records deadline? Well, that was April. We're very close to the end of April, Lisa. I don't think we've still got anything, have we? I have to admit, I haven't recently looked on the um, NHSD website up until very, a couple of weeks ago when I last looked. It was still saying during April. The only thing that I'd been told by the, the national team was that it had been put back. I'm not aware. Um, I haven't seen any actual date so I think it's all up in the air still so I think we just sit tight uh, we don't have to do anything at the moment we just wait um, we're to keeping in close communications 
with the national team and with the DPOs across across the patch. So as and when we'll get a we get an update, we will absolutely let people know. Yes, it's, I think it's going to be the midnight on the last day of April, isn't it? So maybe there'll be a ultimately frustrating um, I think that's all our information in parting for that sort of thing I just wanted to share with you that um, bookings are open now for our practice manager conference we're back face to face it will be so nice to see you um, so we're going to be in Oakley Hall in Basingstoke which is a particularly nice venue we have been there before but it's a little bit smart it's a little bit sort of out of the country in its own space old country house and we just want it to be a sort of celebration of what you have all achieved over the last couple of years and how pleased we are all to see each other um, and um Sorry, Lisa, do you want to come in on that? No, no, Doesn't no. that one. Okay. Um, and um, so it's going to be our 30th the 9th of June. Um, we will be there all day. There's lovely, lots of gardens, there's space. We want it to be a day that's going to be useful for you. So we've got all the health and wellbeing boards are going to come. Um, that's across all the four, the four across all of our patches. Um, and they'll be able to tell you how they can help you, how they can help your teams. They'll be there all day. We'll obviously have the normal reps. Um, we'll have breakout rooms so that you can um, come to talks on sleep pensions, information governance, communicating with your patients, all sorts of things. We're going to finish the day with Alfie Moore from Radio 4, who's a comedian and a policeman, who is funny, but he sets up some interesting scenarios and gets you to have a little bit of a think about it. So it'll be hopefully motivating, uplifting, funny, um, and get you to think a little bit. And the whole day we want to be a day for you. You don't have to be rooted to the spot, listening to things all the time. You can be out in the gardens, you can be networking with your colleagues. Um, we're also going to have Adam Thompson, who at District Surveyor, we work with closely with Michelle Lombardi, one of our directors of primary care. And you'll be able to book an individual and confidential um, appointment with them to talk about any particular premises issues you have got at the moment. So what we're going to do is we will ask for that in advance if you want to book one one of those sessions so we just thought it might be a good opportunity to chat that through um with both um, michelle and adam so we're just going to offer that to you as well so we hope it's going to be an interesting day do book up it's on the website it's only 25 pounds for all of you it's been highly subsidized by nhs england which is great um and we hope it's just going to be fun and a nice day and we will look forward to seeing you all um, so any questions on that do come back to me we will record any of the sections we can um, we're not live streaming it because um, we don't think any of you will sit there in your offices watching it um, but we will record some of the sessions that the trainers will allow us to and put that up, I'll put those up on our website later um, but as ever any questions come to me about that um, and I suspect we're going back to online access um, Lisa are you going no because I'm going no, back it was just, I, no it was just I don't know <laughs> It was worth mentioning, Louise, I know we were keeping people up to date of, of um, changes within the team. And I can't remember if we've let people know that Dr. Ed Rendell has joined us as a new medical director and he's covering BSW. And I thought BSW colleagues might need to know they're probably familiar with Ed because he was previously uh, both working in practice uh, within Wiltshire, but also uh, working with the CCG. And I just wondered if it might be nice to get him along to a future webinar to get him to introduce himself. Yes, great idea, Lisa. So we're definitely by so Ed's working at a practice in Wilton, I think, just outside Salisbury now, um, and doing a couple of days a week with us at the LMC. So we're absolutely delighted to have the BSW patch covered now. Gareth's gone, so there's been a seamless transition there. Um, so we're up to full complement of medical directors now. And, um, and everybody, we will all be there, the whole team um, at the Practice Magic Conference. That's an opportunity to meet Ed if you haven't met him before. So I think we've come to the end of the questions. Um, thank you so much for all of you for joining us. Thank you so much to Dawn, our Deputy Director of Primary Care, and Lisa, our Director of Primary Care. It's been great to have you with us. Um, thank you for your questions. And as ever, we'll be here in a couple of weeks' time. Um, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And we will speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.